0: And, and all I saw was a good number of kids, of young kids and, and, and the majority females, like moms, grandmas, wives. And I'm like, wow, you know, I had never really seen that because my focus had always been on the inmate. And on um, that day, a couple years after I started, it was another piece of the puzzle that fit into place. And, and God really spoke to me. He's I don't want just the inmate. I didn't come to just, you know, heal the inmate. I, I want, I want the full
1: family. Hi, I'm Jen Slumack, and this is my podcast, Just Say It. Today and the next two episodes, we're going to be on a journey of a three-part series with Hector James, founder and creator of Reentry Faith Initiative. This is a gentleman that I have worked with and spoken with on many occasions. The work that he's doing for folks reentering the population after incarceration and also trying to equip the churches to handle the influx of fathers and mothers coming home is just noble and beautiful work. This is part one of three I asked Hector to be here with us today because Hector is somebody that I met through work. We work at the same organization. Both of our life experiences bring forth uh, a tremendous amount of wisdom. Some of the things that come out of my mouth when I'm talking to him don't come out of my mouth when I'm talking to other people and, and likewise for him. So Hector, I want to thank you for being here today. I wondered if, if you might tell us some of um, how you got to where you are and this project that you've started. I'm interested in sharing that with folks.
0: First of all, thank you for for um, inviting me, and thank you for for encouraging me. Um, you know, in the short time that I've known you, you've you've really um, encouraged me to to take a couple more steps out of my comfort zone. And um, you know, God's really used you to encourage me, and you know, just challenging myself and believing that you know, um, you know, we can do this. So. So thank you, and um, first of all, and, and the project, uh, the Faith Initiative, and and so I don't know if I shared with you, but I I, I started prison ministry back in two thousand nine. What I have shared with you is that I used to drink a lot, so so I, I went into a men's rehab, um, a, a, a Christian home, um, and uh, and I was there for nine months after I came out of the. Uh, out of the men's home, I, I was asked to help the director. So I was helping the director. Came up to Northern California back in 2009 for a uh, conference where I was asked to represent the men's home I I, um, I completed in San Diego. And so I came up not knowing what was happening, you know, everything brand new, um, you know, brand new to the Lord, brand new to the church, brand new to this whole sober lifestyle. And, um, you know, just... You know, just stepping out of my comfort zone from the get go. So, I came up to Northern California, some place I would never have come up to, and um and you know really was like a little bit fearful as to you know what was going to happen because uh, I'm a Southern California guy. So, anyways, um, came up uh, to represent the home, and this conference had to do with prison ministry, and um and so um right there at that service at that church uh, or that church service it, I felt the confirmation the calling into prison ministry um, if it's almost like that sense when like a piece of the puzzle falls in place and you're just like yeah so so that was a, a piece to the puzzle that fell in place that day and um you know just just really felt the call real strongly went back home um, we organized a trip to go into the state prison down in San Diego Um, and went in, uh, had never spoken in public before, had never done any type of speaking before. And, um, I asked the chaplain, I'm like, you know, uh, cause he asked me to share my testimony, share my story in front of these inmates. And I was just like, man, you know, and like, what should I say? So, so he just said, imagine that this is the last time they're going to hear about salvation. Imagine this is the last time they're going to, you know, get to hear about hope imagine this is the last time you'll ever see them again. You know, what do you want them to know and what do you want them to hear? So, um, you know, really thought about that as we walked down to the chapel and, um, I remember shaking. I remember just everything inside of me was shaking. And I got up in front of this room of like 30 inmates, um, older men, um, you know, and, and, uh, Everybody was just staring at me, and I just start speaking. I start sharing my story with them and uh, my testimony. And all of a sudden, I see these grown men start crying. So, um, you know, uh, when I saw that, when I was speaking, and just the whole experience of that, I knew that that, that was another piece of the puzzle that's, that fell into place, um, that moment, that day. So um, the group I went in, we were about 10 of us that went in that day. I was the only one out of that group that kept going. So every Saturday, every Saturday, I would wake up in the morning, get ready, head head out to the prison, um, and meet the the uh, the volunteer chaplain there. And she would uh, walk me around, and I would, you know, spend the whole Saturday from sunup to sundown, you know, just going to all the different yards and and um, and uh, you know, just trying to do something, just trying to help, just being around that atmosphere. So. Say all that to give a little bit of, of background story. So I, that started in 2009. I started volunteering every Saturday for years, right? And and in 2011, um, I was no longer supervised, so I, I could go in and and um and have my own service and just um, you know God gave me a lot of grace with the uh, with the um, administration at the prison and and with the chaplains, the volunteer chaplains. So I was able to go in and run program by myself, and um, uh, we started a Spanish uh, ministry in there. Um, and and on one of my Saturdays that I was going in, there was I would walk in through the staff entrance, and I felt this clear voice um, ask me, "What do you see? Look around. What do you see?" And um, as I'm walking in through the staff entrance, I'm looking around, and there's uh, the visiting center where all the families of of the inmates are getting ready and being screened and being searched to you know metal detectors and 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 all I saw was a good number of kids of young kids and and, and the majority females like moms, grandmas, wives, um, all different ages, but just the majority females and and kids. And and um and I'm like, wow, you know, I had never really seen that because my focus had always been on the inmate. My focus had always been on the on the on the guys that were inside. And um that day, a um, couple years after I started, it was another piece of the puzzle that fit into place and, and God really spoke to me. He said, I don't want just the inmate. I didn't come to just, you know, heal the inmate. I, I want I want the full family. So so I want the whole family. I I didn't want I don't want just one person. I want the whole family. So um, I had never. I, it just blew my mind because I had never really under understood or seen that behind every one of those inmates, behind every individual, there was a a, a family unit around him, or her. Yeah, and, uh,
1: Victor, this this is this is what I love about our conversations is uh, the expanse uh, that your passion reaches to. I mean, your understanding through this journey, and thank you for sharing it with us moment to moment here, because it's really, uh, I've known a lot of this, but I didn't know exactly how it all sort of came together. And um, my experience of teaching inside of the jail, I also had the uh, men who were incarcerated in my in my daily life, but only when I started hearing about the visitation and, and all of the stuff, really truly recognizing the impact that their being there has on The lack of stability of the family
0: yeah,
1: and that how that's handed down and how that um adds to the destruction of our neighborhoods and our communities and our in our hope
0: yeah yeah
1: so um i just really appreciate you you bringing that forward um and so when you realize that the whole family was what you were being called to speak for to and, and with what what next what happened next
0: so um you know um the it's my whole teaching my whole engagement with the inmates was different so so my uh as my focus started changing from okay you know you know now you're you know you're um you know coming to christ you're coming to the lord you're coming to your faith into your faith you're being grounded in faith but what's happening when you leave what's happening when you go home you know how's your home life looking like you know what happened at home that caused you to be in this place what caused you You know all that destruction in your family what you know what consequences is there to you being here in this place so my whole my whole teaching um my whole speaking just opened up um and i started touching on points that were sensitive to a lot of these men so a lot of these men i I mean i you know for example I, i met this older um you know mexican um individual um you know would 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 just be really quiet you know during um our, our our time together and then one day i just i just asked them you know what happened you know what happened um you know what happened in your life that that you know cuz we we're taught to not really ask about their offense their committed offense their crime um but i just i just wanted to know what happened because he looked like a normal he could have been my, you know, my grandfather, you know, he could have been my granddad. And and so I'm like, you know, what happened, man? And, um, and, and we were talking about kids. We were talking about our families. And so, um, you know, he started sharing with me that the reason he was locked up was because he got caught smuggling. Um, but the reason he got caught smuggling or the reason he was smuggling was to put his son through university, um, you know, because his son was studying to be a doctor. Here in the United States, um, and and one of his books was a couple hundred dollars, four or five hundred bucks for a book, and um, his son didn't have that money, and they and, and it was a poor family, so he he said, I'll, "I'll have to do whatever I have to do," and um and and started smuggling drugs, you know, and and um those type of stories, you know, where I'm just like, you know, I was able to understand a lot of things that that a lot of people don't get to hear or understand. So, anyways, I was just my whole um, approach to every inmate was different. Uh, We started talking about families. We started talking about their children. We started talking about their wives, their ex-wives, you know, their mothers, their fathers, um, and what they wanted, you know. And and so a lot of these men, what uh, what they expressed, I mean, over the years was just that they just wanted to be, like, at peace with everybody. They just wanted peace. They just wanted this, um, you know, to be able to come home. Um, and they wanted peace in the home. You know, they wanted um, for everything to be cool. You know, they just wanted to work. You know, they wanted to, you know, go to church. They wanted just a normal life, what we'd consider normal. Um, you know, and so what happened in 2015? I put all my volunteer experience, my all my years um, of experience, volunteer experience in the prison. I put it on a resume. Um, I put everything, all my volunteer stuff on a resume, um, you know, and then, and, and, um, you know, my, my volunteer experience in, in the men's home um, and, and uh, as assistant director, as a volunteer counselor in the home. I, um, I got registered as a drug and alcohol counselor. Um, you know, so one of my chaplain friends was like, hey, you know, have you, have you thought about registering? And I'm like, no. And um, he said, I just did it, man, online. It's easy you know and it opened up a lot of doors for you so i registered as a drug and alcohol counselor i fixed up my resume and i sent it out you know i sent it out and i just said lord i just want a job that that pays me enough one <laughs> to pay my bills but i wanted i wanted it to be tied into what my calling is um so right you know uh picked me up and i started case managing parolees um down in san diego <clears throat> so um, That's really the beginning of, of of the reentry part, you know, the reentry part. Because my whole focus was just inside. But then, as, as time started going by, um, God started opening up ways or, or doors for me out here in the community, as to you know, you know, getting these folks um, and the people that I was serving inside, getting them uh, connected to the resources that they need out here to to one day have that peace and have that healing happening in their families. Um, you know, so that's where the, the faith initiative comes in. You know, it starts, it starts building from that, you know, out here as in community and, and, and um, um, as a church. So I'm really active in my church. I'm really active in church. Um, you know, God saved me. And that's where my conviction comes from, um, you know, my whole new outlook on life. So my purpose and my calling is very central to everything that I do. Um, and, and, and I, and I'm really grateful for that because everything stems out of that, you know, um, you know, my marriage, my kid, um, you know, my job, uh, ministry that I do It's just, everything's connected. So, um, you know, I thank God for that. And, and, um, yeah, so that's how, you know, I ended up here uh, you know, God brought me back to Northern California. Um, he, he gave me the position I have right now where I'm, 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 I'm working with, with, uh, guys that are coming home. And um, and this faith initiative, you know, which, you know, hopefully, you know, starts growing in the next year. But I think it is. I think it is. It's it's a uh, it's an opportunity to reach churches. So there's a lot of churches that go in and minister to uh, the inmates inside. But there's none. There's no continuation or no follow up. Very little follow up. Uh, once these men come out. So that's that's my whole, um, you know, uh, heart behind that. You know what's happened? What's happening to these men and these people once they come home? And 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 is there really a connection happening? Or how can we attend to the family? Um, you know, get the family ready for when their family member from inside comes outside? And um, there's a lot of a lot of stuff I saw was these guys were coming home and they were falling away. They were falling off.
1: We've had some wonderful conversations just about understanding the stigma on folks who have been incarcerated, on folks uh, perceived to have mental illness, on folks um, dealing with homelessness, on folks dealing with addiction, and and how so many barriers are created by, um, by the beliefs that the public holds of individuals who have found themselves in these situations without ever hearing the stories of the individuals who find themselves in these situations. And what I know uh, and what I I believe that a lot of people have experience with as a woman in long-term recovery or as people who have been incarcerated or dealt with mental illness or, or depression or anything, what I know is that I begin to absorb the world's ideas of me and Uh, that the shame that is produced from that Mm -hmm. becomes a barrier that I have to learn only I can break but in order for me to find hope through the shame that I'm experiencing because the shame is it's it's powerful man Mm -hmm. it's powerful and in order for me to see light on the other side of that, some really critical components need to uh, engage. It's been my experience that a lot of times the church uh, will take secular society and sort of deem it as evil, but mm-hmm. secular is really just a lack of religion. So what we're dealing with here is um, a social climate of having had, having been hurt by the church often, not always, but often, particularly these uh folks on the margin that we've spoken of so far, but we also have a church that is trying to bring people to a spiritual life, to a, to a God and to a a better way with, with fear, it seems around the human experience. Mm. Right. And so there's a, there's sort of this, this lack of connection between we are a human being who is going to struggle with things and we need, we need a set of principles. We need some structure. We need some guidelines. We need some community. We need some faith to find
0: our way out of uh, this hopelessness. People feel that way. Yeah. You know, People feel that way. And, and the only thing I, I, w- I would add, add is just uh, it's like when we come into recovery, you know, the first step in recovery is to admit, you know, admission and then being humble enough being, and being real enough to see myself as I am truly yeah. church, no church, whatever, you know, if we can't, if we can't come up, come to that point inside of church or outside of church, our, our growth is going to be stunted. You know, our, 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 um, our life experience is going to be not what it should be, you know? And so, you know, we always have to have that, that um, you know, that openness and accept accept a lot of things about my true condition, because that's the open door. That's the door that opens right into into everything else. When people are confronted initially about their sin, about their condition, about certain things, a lot of people aren't ready, aren't ready for that. So they feel hurt, they feel attacked, they feel judged, they feel all that. But a lot of times it's the church's attempt to get to that person, to that point of being able to see things clearly that causes a lot of that uh, that bumping heads. Because if you tell somebody, hey, man, you're a drunk, stop. Eh, F you, I, you know, I'm just having fun. Well, and that's the thing that I think is critical
1: from um, from the recovery movement is the recognition that when somebody is in pain, when somebody is in shame, when somebody is in a downward spiral, The last person who's going to be able to pull them out of that in active downward spiral is somebody that they could perceive is judging them. Yeah. Right. So the misperception of a wife saying, why do you do this to me? Don't you love me? Don't you love your kids? Or, you know, a friend saying, bro, man, you got it. Good. What are you doing? Knock it off. Or God forbid, a clergy saying, you know, you, you, the devil has a hold on you and you're going to hell and what, you know, this kind of language to somebody who is living sort of choking in shame. Yeah. What it sounded like to me when folks tried to point out that I needed to stop drinking or I needed to behave differently, what it sounded like to me was oh my God, my cover's blown. They know I'm a mess and I'm not worth it. Why am I even trying? That's what I heard. I didn't hear, I love you. Yeah. There's hope. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear, I love you and I want better for you. I didn't hear, I don't understand what's going on. I'm so confused. I love you. Can you talk to me? I didn't hear any of the things that people were saying. Right? The, the, The tragedy of... Of shame is it? It's this like twisted filter yeah. that gets between you and I. Yeah. And what the recovery movement came to understand and sort of give us as a society, in my experience, is this idea that we need a peer. Mm-hmm. We need somebody who understands where I'm at. Somebody who's been in the downward spiral, who understands it, who can speak of it. Don't even tell me what I need to do tell me what you've done and let me decide from this place without your judgment, whether I want to join you. Right. Because when I was in shame and when people that I spoke to in the jails who were incarcerated were in shame, and as you said earlier, all they wanted was a home that worked. All they wanted was peace and a job and, and, and church. Now I'm not saying that everybody who's incarcerated is that clear on what they want. A lot of folks who are incarcerated are going to benefit from being incarcerated right now that's yeah. that might be the that might be the bottom that they needed it might be the uh the timeout, the break the drying out the sobriety moment that they that they need some folks need to have it imposed in order to shift
0: yeah i think we could all do a, a you know a better job at it you know as, as a church because I, I, we've had a lot of conversations about church and and, and, and shame and all that and I think um, as as church I consider myself part of the church so we could do a, a better job you know at communicating that love you know what I mean I, 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 I could always learn how to do it better and I think as a church um, as part of the church if I understand this part of my responsibility is to teach my peer, on the church pew look brother sister that's not maybe the best way to talk to somebody who's hurting right now because like you said when I was in that place that didn't help me at all you know so um it's my responsibility as part of the church to correct a lot of the things that are happening in the church
1: i'm jen slumack And this has been Just Say It. This was part one of three interview with Hector James, founder of the Reentry Faith Initiative in Northern California. Join us next week as he begins to tell us about the point of this initiative, which is building a bridge between incarceration and healing. There's three steps. He'll go into them next week. I do hope that you'll join us. Take care.